three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. On today's edition of the program, another Bears player come out and said that Matt Nagy sabotaged him Talk about it in just a second, plus a brand new interview today with Peter Kent, the writer for Football Morning in America for NBC Sports. We talked with him extensively about the Bears' season, what to expect for them come next year, and so much more. It's an insightful interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zaglou. You want to watch more of this show? Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. If you've watched me for the past year and a half, two years, you know there's one thing I always emphasize on this program. Truth, honesty, integrity. Care about all those things. And I've always done my best to be that way with you, to report stories, talk about stories that may not be popular, may not be highly covered, but deserve to be talked about. Case in point, I understand everybody's forgotten about Mitch Trubisky. I get it, but you know what? It's worth reporting and talking about the fact that Matt Nagy did sabotage him, and there's truth to it. There's a mainstream media report. Alan Robinson said the same thing. I talked about it. I'm not going to leave these things to the past and say it doesn't matter anymore. Hey, new coach, new GM, let's focus on that. No. I'm never going to stop pursuing this story, just so you know. When Matt Nagy gets a job, if he gets a job, watch out for a big video on this channel. 100%. I'm not letting him get away with what he did here in Chicago. I'll be the only one to hold him accountable, and that's fine. But that's how it should be. Somebody needs to hold him accountable. The media sure didn't. This Mitch Trubisky bombshell report didn't come out till after he was fired. Alan Robinson, speaking out, didn't come till after he was fired. And now, another player, a third player, has said Robinson and Trubisky are right. Robinson and Trubisky are right. It's Anthony Miller. Yeah, Anthony Miller. Came out on Twitter and essentially backed up Robinson and Trubisky I've said what the report said from the Athletic. 
There's a tweet that was put out by an NFL content creator, Max Markham, and he said this, One of the weirdest ideas I've ever heard, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy liked Allen Robinson so much, they tagged him for $18 million and gave him starting snaps, then to the detriment of their own careers, actively schemed him out of the offense to sabotage him delusional. That's a horrible take. And obviously this is somebody who is not connected to Bears football. A national content creator has no clue. What's been going on? Hell, he probably hasn't even heard of the athletic report on Mitch Trubisky and Matt Nagy. Robinson commented on the tweet. He said, 154, 151, 66. The amount of targets he's got over the past three years. 154, 151, then 66. Anthony Miller then said, quote, Maybe I was right. LOL. Maybe I was right. L-O-L. In regards to the theory that Robinson play was sabotaged by Nagy and Pace. I love how this gets no publicity. Nobody talks about this. And for the most part, people will say, well, whatever, it's in the past, right? Who cares? Move on. New head coach, new GM. Look forward to that, John. What the hell's wrong with you? Going back, looking at the Bears from two or three years ago. Here's why I care about this. A couple of reasons. Number one, Matt Nagy should never coach in the NFL again. I don't care if he's a quarterback's coach or offensive coordinator or running back, whatever it might be, he should never be a coach in the NFL again. Number one, first and foremost. Number two, there are players' careers who've been on the line. There are players who could be losing or earning a lot more money based on this report and whether or not it's true. You can say what you want about Mitch Trubisky. The fact is... He lost out on a lot of money, and he was shamed out of Chicago. I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's still true. You know, he can't even post on social media. He gets so much hate from the fan base here in Chicago. It's ridiculous. Hatred. For nothing he did. He didn't do anything wrong, necessarily, here. Didn't ask to be picked that high, played at a decent level, and got killed by the fan base. Alan Robinson continues to get killed by the fan base for this past season, was it his fault? Well, not really. And now, Anthony Miller, whom I deemed a bust last year. Well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe he was also sabotaged by Matt Nagy. I know Miller had different things, caused a couple of fights. We know about that, but still, remember a highly touted wide receiver, second round out of Memphis, he was supposed to be essentially who Darnell Mooney is today. Anthony Miller was supposed to be good. Had a promising rookie year, then went downhill immediately. Whose fault is that? Well, we don't know now. Sure, you can make the argument that Miller's coming out and saying this for his own value, for his free agent value, but I'll tell you this much. There's evidence to show that what he's saying is right. It's not like he's just talking out of his ass and saying, oh, I was sabotaged too. Well, we have evidence now. Mitch Grabinski, Alan Robinson, Anthony Miller, Jordan Howard. Explain this one to me. Jordan Howard was the second leading rusher in the NFL under John Fox. Matt Nagy comes in cut. <laughs> How the hell is that possible? Really? Second leading rusher in football then cut. You know, there's an old saying in business and this industry too, radio, TV, sports media. Your job depends on management. There are a lot of good people in the industry who lose jobs every day just because of bad management or new management. 
That's why they say never take one person's opinion seriously, right? Maybe you're not their style. Could be somebody else's style, not their style. Same idea here. Here's the difference, though. See, when you get fired by somebody in TV, sports media, there's usually another style that works for you. It's not like you're blackballed from the industry. I mean, there are a lot of people every day who jump from ESPN to Fox or Fox to TBS or TNT. We see it all the time. That's not the issue. The issue is in the NFL and Matt Nagy's case for the Bears, these guys were essentially blackballed. I mean, these guys had a stink around their name, horrible reputation, and now may or may not be able to find another job. That's the difference. That's the problem that I have. So when you tell me, John, it's old news, stop talking about it, move on, I'm not even talking about it for my sake. I'm not a player. I wasn't a victim of Matt Nagy other than the fact that I watched his games and watched his coaching. I'm talking about this in regards to the players who suffered. And now, who have no media coverage and no support from anybody. That's a problem. That's a big problem. We know it's a fact that Mitch Trubisky was run out of town because of Matt Nagy, sabotaged by Matt Nagy. We know that Alan Robinson was in that same boat. Now Anthony Miller has stepped up and said something similar. And on top of it, what about Justin Fields and his rookie year? What happened to him? Seven touchdowns, ten picks. Tons of fumbles. No offensive line. Being thrown into the Cleveland Browns game and getting killed. That's why I'm not going to forget about it. I don't care if I'm the only media outlet covering this. It's worth talking about. It is. It's worth exposing what happened to this team. Because the last time I checked, 2018, should have been in the Super Bowl. How do you go from being a top team in the NFL to this? Your star players, whom you trusted at one point, being considered goats, not the good kind. How do you fall that much? How do you sustain that fall from grace? And that matter, too. Matt Nagy was the coach of the year. Mitch Trubisky was doing great. Big-time development. Allen Robinson killed it. Anthony Miller was on his way up. Now, all these guys are going to be fighting for jobs come free agency and next year. Guaranteed. At least for sure, Miller and Trubisky. Maybe Robinson will latch on somewhere. But you know what? They're not going to consider him what he was a couple of years ago. Because he didn't put up those numbers this past year because, again, sabotage. That's why I'm never going to stop talking about this. And what I hate even more about this whole story is the initial tweet that started this off. Who the hell are you? Max Markham, one of the weirdest ideas I've ever heard. Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy liked Allen Robinson so much, they tagged him for $18 million, gave him starting snaps, then to the detriment of their own careers, actively schemed him out of the offense just to sabotage him. Delusional. No, no, no. You're delusional because you don't follow the Bears enough or closely enough to understand. That's why I never, rarely listen to the national media when it comes to Bears coverage. It's just different. They could comment on the Jaguars and Urban Meyer, <laughs> the Colin Kaepernick saga, that's fine. You can't talk about Chicago Bears football unless you're here in Chicago and you understand the history of this team. This is not some random NFL team, some expansion upstart franchise, not the Browns, where you can sit there and bash Baker Mayfield. No. 
This is a team with a storied legacy, storied history, gigantic fan base, and extremely localized. You have to be in the know with fans here in Chicago as to how to talk about the Bears, how to cover the team. So for this content creator to come out and say, oh, it's crazy. Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy would actively sabotage Allen Robinson. Well, kind of true, isn't it? Robinson's response, 154, 151, 66. Not a coincidence. So you can't say, oh, it's the quarterback or it's Robinson's fault because a year ago with three different quarterbacks, he did great. At Trubinsky and Nick Foles. Targeted so many times by both guys. Made tons of big plays. Thousand plus yards. Reliable. Now this past year with three different quarterbacks can't do anything? Two veterans and a rookie? No. It's ridiculous. He was sabotaged. There's proof. The Mitch Trubisky news. Proof. And now Anthony Miller saying, yes, this is correct. Proof. If Miller was a bit more disciplined, maybe he would have had a bigger role with the Bears, but the point is, we don't know what he could have been. Look, the fact is, Matt Nagy, at this point, with all these allegations and reports coming out, he is a player killer. There's no other way I could put it. Player killer. Someone like that should never be near an NFL team again. I don't care for what job. doesn't matter if it's a quarterback coach or offensive coordinator. He should never be near an NFL team again. Your job as a head coach, even Matt Eberflus said it, to be a CEO to get the best out of everybody, to coach the team the right way. Not to have an ego, not to fight about play calling, not to actively sabotage your star players. Matt Nagy did all of that. That's why I'd be so shocked to be ever got a head coaching job again. And hence, that's why this is worth reporting. That's why. It's so worth reporting. None of these players have anybody stepping up for them. None of these guys have anybody supporting them. All they get is hatred. It's Trubisky can't post. Alan Robinson's being questioned about his effort, and Anthony Miller was also run out of town. Look at Jordan Howard. He could barely even stay in the NFL now. You're going to tell me it's all because of Jordan Howard himself? He's not a good enough player to stay in football? No! Now Nagy screwed him. And he screwed Trubinsky, and he screwed Robinson, and now screwed Anthony Miller. These guys have no advocates, whether it be from fans or media. Nobody's talking about this. Nobody cares. Hey, let's focus on the new guys. No. These guys' livelihoods and careers are at stake as a one man. So hell yes, I'm going to sit here and talk about this. If they have no supporters, if their careers are hanging in the balance as we speak, they deserve some sort of support. They deserve the full story to be told. They deserve publicity and press to have this covered. I'm always going to do that. I'm never going to stop following this story. Even if it's old or outdated or John, you're living in the past, it's not about me. It's not about the program. It's about these players who've suffered. It's about their careers being on the line here. Seriously. It's about their careers being in jeopardy. I want to do what I can in my position to help them. Because it's pretty unfair to me that Matt Nagy, at the end of the day, got paid. 
probably will find another job, but these guys can't. These guys are way more talented than Matt Nagy ever will be at his job, and yet their careers are hanging in the balance. Matt Nagy will probably end up somewhere. That's extremely unfair and completely wrong. Oh, and by the way, we're still waiting for Matt Nagy to respond to these allegations. We're still waiting. Can you believe this? I don't know. To me, the longer you wait and put off responding, the worse you look. Could be just me. But I mean, if it was so easy to refute this, you'd just say, hey, they're lying, they're wrong. Why has no statement come from Matt Nagy's camp? Or Ryan Pace's, for that matter. Why have we not heard anything from them? And it's been over a month, almost two months, since they were fired. Why have we not heard any word from them about this? Or about their futures? Or where they might go? Well, about it's a secret, right? Probably because they know the minute they speak up, everyone's coming for them. See, more people understand what really happened. You know, last year at this time, if you said you supported Mitch Trubisky, you'd be killed. Now, if you say it, well, there's some merit to it. There's a report. There are coaches and GMs being fired. There's more merit to these cases. That's why they know public opinion may not be on their side anymore. And all these players now have the luxury and the freedom to speak out about it. Their free agent values are on the line here, plain and simple. I understand there's a motivation here to talk about this for free agent uh, money, for contracts, but at the same time, careers in the balance, careers in jeopardy, they need to say something. The fact that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy have said nothing yet, that's concerning. That's very concerning. Because it's so easy to come out and say, wrong, refute it, disregard it. They're not saying anything. And really, nobody is. I don't see many other media outlets covering this story. There's a reason why. I don't know what that reason is, but it doesn't make sense to me. If I were you at home and you're watching this video or following these reports, do yourself a favor. Don't complain about this news coming out right now. Don't say, hey, John, focus on Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, how this team will get better. I'll be honest with you, not really my concern yet. Free agency hasn't even started yet. There are loose ends with the Bears that haven't been tied up. Still. And these players who played here in Chicago for a number of years, did their best for the most part, tried hard and played well, their careers are on the line. All because of one guy. Remember, there are times in every industry where new management comes in, you guys just don't click, and you move on. New management, though, doesn't blackball you, doesn't hurt your career, you just move on. Mitch Trubisky's career is permanently hurt by Matt Nagy. Alan Robinson's may be permanently hurt now by Matt Nagy. Anthony Miller, certainly. Jordan Howard and probably others who we haven't heard from yet, who we will hear from. See what I mean? And they have no advocates. I haven't heard one person say, hey, I support Alan Robinson. Hey, this is horrible what happened to Mitch Krabisky. Hey, Anthony Miller, promising wide receiver, hurt again by Matt Nagy. Jordan Howard, another. Instead, we hear the same people criticizing them for their performances this past year and years past. It's ridiculous. We have proof in a report that shows 
It was Mount Maggie. That's the reason why I'm always going to cover this. They need advocates. They have no advocates. Fellow players aren't talking. Matt Nagy ain't talking. And the media isn't talking. Somebody needs to step up. Help out these guys who are suffering. Who've been hurt permanently, or at least semi-permanently, temporarily, by Matt Nagy. All the guys I mentioned today have been hurt by Matt Nagy. Now we have proof that another guy, and Anthony Miller, has also been too. It's unfortunate. It's a real shame. I just wish, at the time in which it happened, more people stepped up and spoke out. And maybe this is a lesson for the future. I'm not saying Matt Eberflus is going to be the same way or Ryan Poles, but if we see this behavior, I would hope now somebody will say something. I know I will. If we see this behavior behind closed doors or if the press sees it, now, I would hope there'd be a report. I hated the fact that this Mitch Trubisky report, that Alan Robinson, that Anthony Miller all came out after he was fired. I get it from the player's perspective. Don't want to talk about this. Well, he's still your coach. But what about the media? Why was this not coming out at the end of 2020? It could have influenced Matt Nagy and the Bears to fire him. And instead, they kept him around for one more year and killed Justin Fields. You wasted a year of his development. You wasted a year of this team. You wasted a year of all of us watching this team. That's wrong. Remember, it did happen. They were sabotaged, and that's a fact at this point. It's true. So next time you think about criticizing Alan Robinson or Mitch Trubisky, Anthony Miller, Jordan Howard, Think about the truth surrounding the report. All that criticism should go straight to Matt Nagy. Straight to him. Not to the players. Not to their efforts or performances. To Nagy. Nagy directly influenced how all of them played, the numbers they put up, and how well they did. It's his fault. And that's why. As of today, as of tomorrow, as of 20 years in the future, Matt Nagy should never coach the NFL again. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Peter King comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Never comes to glue, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the Football Morning in America columnist for NBC Sports and the host of the Peter King Podcast. Please welcome Peter King to the program. Peter, it's great to have you on. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me, and thanks for reaching out. What do you make of the Rams' Super Bowl win, first off? Um, you know, I think that their great players played great when they really had to. Uh, and I mean, Cooper Cup really came through at the end when uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was hurt and Aaron Donald came through even against double teams. So I think there's a moral to the story. There are a lot of general managers and a lot of traditional football people who don't love the way the Rams were built. They don't think you can build a championship team doing it mainly through 
big names, big salaries, uh, you know, veteran kind of famous players. And I think the Rams are going to cause a lot of people to say, hey, listen, this is not a bad idea. It's just a different idea. That also applies to draft picks, too. They don't have many first-round draft picks moving forward, and they were still able to win. I mean, you know, the weird thing about the whole draft pick deal is that Sean McVay got hired in 2017. And in the five drafts since then, 17 through 21, the Rams have had the second highest number of draft choices in football just none of them in the first round so it's like everybody thinks they're trading away their future but basically what they do is they draft a bunch of guys like for instance nick scott he's a safety he went to penn state they drafted him in the seventh round of 19 thinking of him basically as mostly a special teams player and honestly that's what he was for a couple of years but they had injuries at safety this year and they needed him and they decided we're going to put him in the game. And for the last month of the season, he was absolutely terrific. So I think a lot of what people think about the Rams is uh, it sounds good to say that, you know, they don't have enough draft picks or, or whatever, but they got a lot of draft picks. They just, They don't have a lot of high draft picks. (laughs) And I think their attitude is that they'd rather have Jalen Ramsey and Matthew Stafford uh, and and Von Miller than a bunch of ones and twos and threes because those guys were three of the eight or ten most important people on a team that just won the Super Bowl. How impressed were you with Aaron Donald's play? Uh. Well, I think in so many ways, Super Bowls are um, are supposed to be where the best players play the best. But very often, and I think probably most often, that doesn't really happen. But in this game, <clears throat> in the second half of this game, <clears throat> Aaron Donald made three monster plays um, to help his team win. And I think that really becomes sort of the moral of the story in this game, that your best players, if you are a star-built team, your best players have to play the best for you to win. And Aaron Donald, you know, he made his best two plays of the game in the last two plays of the game. So, I mean, he he came through when he was supposed to, and – That's what great players do. Peter King here on Sports Talk Chicago. Peter, where does Aaron Donald rank now with this Super Bowl amongst all-time defensive tackles? Well, I wrote in my Football Morning in America column this week that uh, basically Aaron Donald now has been a three-time defensive player of the year. And he's been first team all pro five times. There are six players who were named to the NFL 100 year anniversary team who are defensive tackles. None of those players 
had more first team all pros or more defensive players of the year. So to me, um, I think you put him up there with the best defensive tackles of all time. He's a surefire Hall of Famer, right? Oh, he 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 was probably that two years ago, but yeah, he's <laughs> he's a walk-in Hall of Famer now. What about Matthew Stafford? There's been a lot of talk about his candidacy following the Super Bowl win. Do you put him in that class yet, or what more does he need to do to get there? Play football. I mean, <laughs> you know, in my opinion, so look, I'm one of the voters for the Hall of Fame. And one of the things that I kind of shake my head when issues like this come up after somebody has a great postseason, this isn't the first time. <laughs> but I sort of shake my head because the question really is twofold. You could ask the question, um, if he never plays another game, is he a Hall of Famer? Because that's what you're asking, really. You're saying, has Matthew Stafford now done enough to make the Hall of Fame? And I would say it's a resounding no. But if he plays three, four, five more years at this level, advances in the playoffs a couple of times, whether he gets another ring or not, I think he has a pretty good chance. But this is a guy who right now, as of today, has played 13 seasons. The first 12, he never won playoff game he never was on a division winner so when he in year 13 gets traded to a team and is part of a team that wins a super bowl does that automatically make him a hall of famer there would not have been one soul on planet earth a year ago today who would have said that matthew stafford's a hall of fame player just because he has this one year now he's got all this momentum to make the Hall of Fame. Plus, you have to look at the fact that there's probably 15 to 17 quarterbacks in this era of football. And when I say this era, I mean who had their prime between 2005 and 2030. So that's a 25-year era. And I'm including guys like Mahomes and Josh Allen. But all those guys who have their primes, are you going to put everyone in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> you putting Dak Prescott in? You putting, I, I mean, I, so you putting Phillip Rivers in? You putting everybody in? And maybe you are, and which is okay if you think everybody should be in there. But that's not traditionally the way the Hall of Fame has, has uh, inducted people. How do you feel about this year's Hall of Fame class? I loved it because I think – you know, as a voter for the Hall of Fame, I love when a great player who doesn't get recognized for his greatness, like Sam Mills, gets recognized. I mean, here's a guy who played 15 years of professional football, led every team he played for, the three teams he played for, led everyone to the playoffs, was a defensive captain on every team he led to the playoffs. When he went to Carolina at the end of his career, at age 37, he led his team in tackles and uh, led his team to the playoffs. And at age 38, he had uh, he had 43 more tackles than anybody else on his playoff team did. And 
I mean, you're 38 years old and you've got 43 more tackles than anybody on your team. That to me is a great player. And I think a lot of people over the years held the fact against him that, you know, he didn't win. He was not on a Super Bowl champion and he was five, nine. So how can you be a great player if you're five, nine? Well, when he left New Orleans, Jim Mora, the coach who only coached for about a thousand years, said that's the best football player I've ever coached in my life. So I don't know. I I like it when guys like that get in the Hall of Fame. What about Devin Hester? Why didn't he get in this year? I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons probably, but look, I make a list. I I, I make a list from one to fifteen every year of the Hall of Fame before the voting begins i say here's who i think here's how i think they they land one to 15 now i might change my mind during the course of the proceedings but this year at the start of the process i had devin hester number two on my list i voted for him the whole way he didn't get enough votes i think he will get in the hall of fame i think what probably um is against him somewhat is that he was a mediocre wide receiver when he did play wide receiver. Uh, he was never very rarely great at that position. My whole thing is I've covered the NFL for 38 years. He's the best returner I've seen. And so I think if you do one thing better than anybody else, and it's a major part of the game, uh, I'm, I'm good with putting you in the hall of fame and I hope he gets in soon. How does the Hall of Fame process work? Like, I know there are conversations, discussions. How did it work this year when it came to Hester and the other guys, and did that have a role to play with it, too? Oh, it always does. You you basically have to – you go through a discussion period where all 15 um, uh, modern-era finalists are discussed. Um, after maybe four or five hours of discussion, you vote for your top ten. Then uh, an accounting firm would, and you do that uh, privately, you do it secretly. Then an accounting firm comes back and says, okay, here's the 10. And then you vote again, you vote for your top five. And then it comes down to five. And at that point, you have to vote yes or no on each of the five. And that's how it works. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion about Devin Hester and I thought it was good, healthy discussion. At some point, my gut feeling, having done it for a while, is that he'll get in, but we'll see. Was that the main contention, what you mentioned earlier, that he was a mediocre wide receiver? Did that come up in the discussions a lot? or? I mean, certainly everything comes up in the discussion, but, you know, it really depends. I Like I said, to me, I don't really care about that. Would it have been great if he, was, if he had 110 touchdown catches and was – all pro wide receiver three times, of course, but that's not what we have. I, I'm a believer that you look at everybody, everybody's career is different. Everybody does different things. And Devin Hester did one thing better than anybody I've ever seen. In my mind, he's a, he's an easy hall of famer. Peter King here on sports talk, Chicago, Peter, let's talk bears for a second. What do you make of their hirings at head coach and GM? Well, you know, I don't know either man. And so that's a job that I've got to get done. I got to get to know them, hopefully starting at the scouting combine. Um, 
but I like the fact that Ryan Poles came up the right way. I mean, he was hired by the Kansas City Chiefs right when Scott Pioli was the general manager as a low on the totem pole guy. He had worked at Boston College. And, you know, he has basically paid his dues every step of the way. Um, I happen to think that the Kansas City organization is fantastic at training people and at, and at how they scout people, um, how they scout players. So I think he was trained well there by Andy Reid and Brett Beach. And as far as uh, Matt Eberflus goes, you know, the Bears went against the grain, needing help for their quarter, young quarterback and drafted the guy who they felt was the best head coach available. And when, when he basically – uh, or when, when he got hired, it said to me that he had to blow away uh, the competition in the interview process because I bet a lot of money that the Bears entered the process thinking, hey, we, we hope it's an offensive guy. We hope it's a guy uh, who can take Justin Fields and the franchise to the promised land. So we'll see how that works. I you know, I've always been impressed with him and his schemes and his players, especially in Indianapolis, really loved him. So, you know, we'll see what happens. How do you evaluate Justin Fields' rookie season overall? What, what do you see from him? I remember sitting with uh, Matt Nagy uh, before a preseason game in the Bears Hotel in downtown Chicago. And... He had a message to deliver that day. And his message was, I'm not playing this kid until he's ready. I don't care what's going on with our team. I'm not out to get this guy a two-year career. I want him to get a 15-year career. And that's how he really tried to do it. And I think, I mean, look, the media is part of this. Fans are part of this. It's one of the things I don't love about football today. There's so much incredible pressure on a head coach to play a first-round quarterback. And who cares if Justin Fields plays this year? You're not winning the Super Bowl. You're almost certainly not going to the playoffs. I mean, you know, the Bengals were 4-10-1 and in, or whatever they were, 4 I forget. But they won four games in Burroughs' rookie year, even though he did get hurt you know, two thirds of the way through. I just think that Nagy had the right idea, injuries and an enormous uh, earthquake of public sentiment kind of forced his hand. I think it's a mistake, but then again, I don't make those decisions. Did you find at least some sort of growth, some positivity based on what you saw from Justin Fields? I mean, you can't help but grow and, uh, get better in the course of your year if if you're being taught the right way and look I understand Matt Nagy is about as popular in Chicago as whatever is unpopular <laughs> but you know um, he had something to do with Patrick Mahomes and I know everybody's sick of hearing that and I get it but you know the fact is that he didn't choose Mitch Trubisky and uh, he had a lot to do with Justin Fields. And I think that his whole idea was, let's do this quarterback the way we did Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. 
They didn't do that. Now, I'm sure that there are some positives that are going to come out of Justin Fields' first year, but I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, the power of learning and being extremely confident in yourself as a player by the time you play, especially at the quarterback position. And it didn't quite work out that way for them. Could he have developed bad habits last year? I mean, he had seven touchdowns, 10 picks, lots of fumbles. Is that a concern now, knowing the Bears rushed him and put him in too early? I mean, we'll see. I mean, it, it's easy to sit here and say, yeah, that was that's a bad sign. And, and that's... And that's, you know, we'll see what's done is what's done is done. As I say, I think it would have been better if he sat the year, but at the end of the day, and look, I'll never figure out why if they weren't going to use Nick, uh, 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 I mean, they were going to use obviously Andy Dalton, but if they weren't going to use Nick Foles, unless it was an absolute emergency, I don't really understand that. Why do you have him on the <laughs> roster? I I would have played Nick Foles a long time before he really did play. What do you expect out of the Bears come next year now with the new offense, uh, new head coach, new GM, and the potential for growth? I think some of that really depends on uh, really on the growth of guys like Justin Fields. Um, you know, What's always interesting is that, you know, like right now, everybody said, okay, it's, uh, you know, I'll give you a Giants example. Daniel Jones, you know, this is make or break year. Well, for Daniel Jones, this will be his third new offense in four years. I mean, you cannot expect people to hit the ground running when they learn something new. And I think that is really one of the most interesting things to watch for this year. How quickly can Justin Fields adapt to new coaching, some new players, but a lot of return players. Uh, So I think that'll tell the tale. I think they'll be very good on defense, but they're not going to win that division unless their offense takes some giant steps. Or unless Aaron Rodgers leaves, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but even if he does leave, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. I mean, if he does leave, it's it's wide open. But if he leaves, I think Minnesota's the best team in the division. Chicago might be. I guess it depends how many 13 to 10 games can you win because they'll need to win a few. More to come with Peter King. In just a moment, stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Peter King still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Peter, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, your career. How'd you get your start? You know, I just, I never had any intention of being a sports writer. Uh, I went to Ohio University and uh, I never wrote sports there. I mean, I wrote a few sports stories, but hardly any. Um, and I thought I would be covering the State House in Columbus or, I don't know, I just thought I'd be writing news somewhere. And then I got a job offer nine months after I retired from 
from a guy in Cincinnati who had been my news editor in my internship and he got the sports editor's job and he wanted to hire me as a general assignment writer. And so that's what I did. And, you know, I, I, you know, it's just, it's really been sort of my good fortune that I got that job and I got hired at that time because really, you know, we're all, right word to say we all have uh experiences in our lives that shape us and if the first job i had gotten was a general assignment reporter in for the pittsburgh post gazette i'd probably be covering news somewhere right now i don't know but uh that's how it started and then and i think the other thing that i think was important to me is that I never went looking for a job, not not once. I never applied for jobs. I never did that at all because I always thought, I was told this in college, that your work will be your resume. And that's how I always felt. That's how I always tried to manage my work life. That, you know, people are watching, people will know you. And at some point, if you're any good, you'll climb the ladder. And that's kind of what happened with me. I'm curious, what made you gravitate towards football? Because you never played football. Uh, you played three different sports in high school. You were really good yeah. at all those three. So what made you gravitate towards the NFL and becoming this big-time writer for the league? When I, when I started at the Inquirer, Cincinnati Inquirer in 1980, I was the backup beat writer on the Cincinnati Reds. And at the time, they had four daily writers, the Daily News, the Dayton Journal Herald, the Cincinnati Post, and the Cincinnati Inquirer. So I became friends with all those guys, and every one of them was divorced. I was married. Uh, we were planning a family. Uh, we were thinking about it, and I just said, okay, it's one thing to be the backup guy on the team, and you go on one 10-day road trip a year. It's another thing to be gone for half of seven months every year. And so I just decided that even though my sporting preference was baseball, I decided to go into a more sane lifestyle job. And they had an opening to cover the Bengals in 1984. And I raised my hand and they said, good, go do it. So that's kind of how that happened. What's the greatest moment you've ever covered in your career? I probably would say um, that, you know, it was pretty cool. I covered the Olympics in Korea um, early in my career when I worked for a paper called Newsday. And I broke a story about the guy who won the 100-meter dash, Ben Johnson, testing positive for steroids. And that, at the time, was a very big deal. And... Um, so, I don't know. I've had a lot of really fun memories and covered a lot of fun games in my life. But if I were asked to pick one, that happened at a time in my life where I was just a pup. I was the last of five reporters for Newsday, this paper I worked for in New York covering the Olympics. And I don't think it was luck. I think I followed a lead that I had, and it ended up working out and, and all that. So. Those are the things that are memorable to me. 
Peter, before we finish up today, last question. Is there a funny moment that you've been a part of during your career too? I mean, I would say, you know, a funny moment. I, I would say that one of the funniest things that ever happened to me was that I covered the Super Bowl that the Green Bay Packers won back in 97. And at the end of it, Brett Favre told me he was going to give me some time. And so I, I kind of followed him around the locker room. He said, I'll get to you, I'll get to you. Then all of a sudden, he's on the bus back to the Fairmont Hotel in New Orleans, and I haven't gotten him. So first, I'm ticked off, okay? But I said, I, I, you know, this is not over, you know? And so I went to the Fairmont Hotel. There were 4,000 people at the, the victory party. And I went in there, it was probably about midnight, and I went in there and I looked every in every inch of the place. And finally I saw Favre and Favre looked at me and said, basically, I know. So we both looked around and he, and he points to an exit. And it was a fire escape. And in that exit was a Bellman's luggage cart. He sat on one side of the cart, I sat on the other side. And uh, we just ended up talking for 45 minutes. And, and he said, well, now I can tell everybody I won the Super Bowl and I celebrated by sitting on this bleeping luggage cart with you. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of funny. Peter, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate the time. Best wishes with NBC Sports, with your podcast too, and looking forward to the next time we chat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate it. Great talk there with Peter King, and that'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Peter King himself, Matt Dubia, WCKG, Jim DeTalbin, Tomorrow Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Z Gluel. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. Another great show comes you with tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! You're the turtle!